Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler and joining me today is my colleague from Cut Through Coaching, Mr. Tim Perkins. Hello Dan, how are you doing today? Yeah, pretty well mate. Now you've been at a conference all day today and the plan was you were going to come back and just share with me what you'd learnt at the conference and then we thought why don't we just whack the old microphones down and turn our conversation into um, a podcast. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We'll see how we go. Um, but you, as I just mentioned, you've been at a conference today. And w- w- what, was the, what was the subject of that? So the, the idea of today's conference is looking at mental toughness. And obviously, we were both quite excited about the idea of working on mental toughness and developing our skills in this area. Um, and we're going to part two of this together tomorrow. Um, developing our skills because there appeared to be, and I'm here to confirm that there is, real crossover with the work that we do with schools, sporting organisations and corporate groups around the concepts of growth mindset in particular, mm. and there's a real synergy. Yeah, right. So you're you saying mental toughness. So it, what, what was that all about? Like a real macho staring each other down to see who would crack first? Like it, it strikes me that, you know, <laughs> how tough are you? Was It was, it was a it pretty was, hardcore session. It was, it was like that. There was me and a few big burly blokes. Yeah, like an episode of Survivor. I made it home and they yeah. didn't. Ah, excellent. And that's why, that's why we work together. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. They actually touched on this today, Dan, because that, that concept is completely understandable that this is some sort of a macho sort of concept that you've got to be really mentally tough in order to dominate your opponent or your work colleague or your children or whoever it is. But, of course, that's uh, one of the key fallacies that they explore here in this idea. And so there's a real sense, well, straight away, in fact, that there's a real sense that mental toughness um, does not belong to a particular gender. It doesn't belong to a particular type of person. Uh, It's something that's developed over time and different people do display characteristics of greater mental toughness. The opposite end of that spectrum, um, if mental toughness is at one end uh, of the continuum, is what they refer to as mental sensitivity, um, which isn't necessarily a pejorative as it might appear to be that uh, that sensitivity is the the negative opposite of of toughness. both words are slightly problematic in my mind because toughness sort of does give that macho sense and mm. sensitivity does give that sense of some sort of a fragility. Mm. Um, but if we can get past the words that are actually used, mental toughness is essentially um, this concept of how people deal with difficult situations, yep. how people deal with stress. And um, one of the things that I've discovered today is that there is no divide whatsoever between males and females mm. in relation to it. Um, but really it's the interesting part from our perspective is that it's something that can be assessed uh, and more importantly that it's something that can be developed. Yeah, right. So you've mentioned they a few times, you know, they spoke about this and so we know that the um, the conference was put on by our friends at the Positivity Institute, Susie Green um, runs that, who's been a great supporter of, uh, of our work for, for a long time now, but they had two uh, people over from the UK. What were their names? Yeah, that was uh, Doug Strickazik, I believe it's pronounced, and John Perry, um, both English fellows, and one's a researcher and the other one uh, runs this AQR International, which are the group that 
puts out the, the mental toughness resources. Yeah, cool. So the, the premise is it's our ability to stand up or handle pressure, perform under stress. And the idea is we can measure that using a, a measure that um, these two have predominantly been had the hand in, in developing. But then obviously, as you were alluding to, not only um, will we be able to use this in our work, but the, the notion is that it's not just a case of measuring and that's where it ends, but we can actually, in our coaching work, then help people develop more mental toughness is that is that right that's absolutely right and so uh, a probably a parallel um for people who are still trying to make sense of what this concept of mental toughness is is probably resilience mm. resilience is something that a, a concept that we're far more familiar with how people respond in situations when they're under a degree of duress um and how what sort of patterns of behavior they show as a result of that how much control they have over managing themselves in situations where stressors are introduced. Mm. So you've mentioned the that first fallacy that, you know, I, I had it all wrong. It's not a survivor staring competition. You know, it's not about being all really macho. Are there any other misconceptions that are flying around about what mental toughness is? Yeah, well, there's, there's three more that the researchers identify in relation to those sort of fallacies that commonly occur. Another one is that, you know, people... Um, that are mentally tough are, are uncaring or self-centred. And I suppose people are starting to, as you're listening to this, think about bosses that you've had, husbands that you've had, <laughs> colleagues you might have, um, that that people aren't as emotionally literate uh, as anybody else. But the, the truth of it is what's come out of all of the studies, and this is a very much a research-based approach, um, they're working in 80 different countries at the moment and, and multiple PhD students are working on research around this concept of mental toughness and one of the things that's come out is that people who display a real sense of mental toughness are just as emotionally literate as anybody else. Mm. Another fallacy is it's all about winning, either in yep. work or sport or whatever the, the endeavour. Um, but mental toughness, a bit like the growth mindset, and it's another parallel here, it's all about being the best that you can possibly be. Mm. Um, so not being the best necessarily, but being your best. Yeah, being a best in yeah. a sense. They, they sort of use this concept of everyone can be a winner in this. This isn't about, you know, a zero-sum game where someone mm. wins and therefore everybody else loses. Uh, it's about optimising people's skills and abilities in situations where duress is there. And so, mm. you know, we, we all watch a lot of sports. You and I, Dan, are very interested in sports. And we see that as a classic forum for where this sort of stress is introduced. School staff rooms are another place, school classrooms, you know, corporate boardrooms, all of these places. Um, so there's not a sense that someone needs to come out on top in order um, to win. Yep. Um, and then another one that they look at is the idea that everyone should be mentally tough. Mm. So this is slightly counterintuitive and an interesting um, element of this, but something that's very much stressed by the guys who've developed this, including Peter Clough, actually, another researcher from the UK, where they really emphasise that self-awareness is the key um, and that mentally sensitive people can be very successful as well. Um, one of the things that was pointed out is that when you're at more at the mentally sensitive end of the continuum, uh, the likelihood is that that's where a lot of creativity comes from, mm. which is an interesting aspect. So if you're assembling a team of people you'd probably want people right along the continuum. Mm. Um, and I suppose where we're looking at this is the idea of using some sort of a measurement tool, quite an accurate measurement tool by all accounts, which can give you a good sense of where your people are mm. 
which means that you can optimize the work that you do with them. Yeah, and I think that was interesting because when when we were talking about you know mental toughness, and I've literally just put down um, the book uh, Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, which talks all around psychological safety, and it, 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 it part of my um, battle with the, with this was you know do we need do we not need to have so much psychological safety if we I can I can see like almost this twilight zone where we start. Um, trying to encourage everyone to be more mentally tough so they can just put up with all the stuff that's going on and all the backstabbing and all this, you know, just toughen up. And I don't, obviously that's not, that. it turns out that's not what we're talking about. And I guess exploring the synergy between psychological safety and mental toughness, it almost sounds like if you could get those two together. Yeah, it's a, um, it'd be a really nice symbiosis yeah. there. And so, yeah, this isn't about, you know, you used the survivor analogy earlier and it's definitely not about that, that everyone's got to be big and tough and strong and get on top of everybody else and win. Mm. It's self-awareness is key with this. So it's yep. how do I work with Dan Hasler and so that I'm bringing Very out... Very well. <laughs> <laughs> how do I work with you so that I bring out the very best in you mm. And what do you need to know about yourself in order to have the very best in you brought out? Yeah. And so that's that's where I become really interested in this, actually. Yeah, right. Because and as, you know, we've you've heard us talk before on this podcast about in an education setting that certainly teachers' self-awareness is such an important part of how they manage themselves in a mm. classroom with kids. Yeah, and the same with leaders, you know, when we're talking about primal leadership from Daniel Goleman, the role of emotional intelligence. It, it, it's self-awareness, for, to hear it, you know, put that way that self-awareness is key um, in, in order for us to be our best. I think that's a, a really nice start point. And so it's one thing to be self-aware. It's probably another thing to know what we should be self-aware about. So I'm curious to hear more about the model that they propose where it, they talk about having um, you know four C's and then within those four C's of mental toughness, there's, there's eight factors. And so I wondered if maybe we could just explore, you know, the, each of those, I guess, in, in, in turn and maybe just see what comes, what bubbles to the surface when we, when we a talk about those. Absolutely, Dan. I'm just going to come back a step, mm. though, because when, just to finish up this bit about the self-awareness, yep. one of the activities that we explored uh, today was this idea of, you know, what, what are the sort of skills that employers are really looking for in the 21st, or what do they say are most important for life in the 21st century? And mm. we were offered five options yep. and, and you know we were asked to you know consider which is the most important so should we do a game now so let's play a game okay. Dan. All, all right <coughs> let's go dan so your five options are okay abilities right skills knowledge yep attitude numeracy and literacy which one do you go with dan okay um so abilities and skills not sure <laughs> i don't even know how to distinguish those in yeah. bit, but but leaving that aside um, I mean, I'm going to go with attitude. Well, well done, Daniel. Thank Give you. a prize to that Thank man you. in the back Thank row. You. Yay, Dan! <laughs> Just playing with our new control board. How here. good is it? <laughs> okay. Um, so that's absolutely right, Dan. Attitude is what people are really looking for as the most important area. So this isn't about saying that people don't need to have expertise. This isn't no. about saying that people don't need to have knowledge, yep. skills, great understandings. Good, because we don't buy into that. We don't buy no. into that rubbish. But attitudes are super important. And so yep. as, as you alluded to a minute ago, the four C's that make up this model, uh, and we'll I'll just go through them initially yep. and then we'll, we'll break them down a little bit, but they, they come down into these areas, control, commitment, challenge and confidence okay. and as you mentioned earlier each of those are broken down into a couple of areas yeah 
So let's look at control to begin with. So yep. control is broken down into two substrands, those being emotional control and mm. life control. Yep. Now, um, we do a lot of work in the realm of emotional control, uh, particularly in our work around the Habits of Leadership course. Yep. Yeah, like, you know, regulating our own emotions and helping, I guess, manage the emotions of those around us. And we've mentioned the book already, I think, uh, you know, Primal Leadership um, by Daniel Goldman talks about the, the, the nature of the relationship between um, emotionally intelligent leaders and, and their teams, for sure. That's right. And then with the life control one, this is about the extent to which you think that you can control what you do, how yeah. you manage your day-to-day -day sort of life. Yeah. Um, so whether life is done to you or whether you have, you're driving it, exactly internal right. versus external that's locus of control. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, okay. so, and people who are mentally tough mm. are, are very much in the driver's seat as far as what happens in their own life. Life is something that they manage and control themselves, as yep. you suggest, as opposed to something that happens all around them that they simply a victim of. Yeah, right. So, so then the second C is yep. this concept of commitment. Um, and commitment's broken down into two substrands of goal orientation as opposed to achievement orientation. Mm. And so the goal orientation really describes the extent to which we like to set and work to goals and targets. And some mm. people are much more driven in that. And so these are the sort of people who say, I promise to do it and I like working to goals and, and they come up with the goods in relation to that. Yep. So they like the idea of setting their own goals and targets. Targets motivate people like this and it's a real source of drive for them. Um, they set personal bests and they seek to better those personal bests. So this is someone who's really driven to challenge themselves. Um, they visualise success and they feel it and I think this has got real um, – usefulness in our in our work in the sports world and mm. and then these people also like being tested on their ability to do these things um in the achievement orientation these are you know this sort of describes the extent to which people feel that they can make the effort to achieve these this is this concept of working hard towards something yeah. so people will say you know i'll do what it takes you know yeah. I'll, I'll whatever do, it takes whatever <laughs> it takes i'll yeah. do what's required um they'll work hard um, these sort of people, they like to set goals, um, but perhaps in a slightly different way uh, to the more goal-oriented people that they're prepared to set goals as opposed to really being driven by them. Mm. Um, they'll keep promises. So you know these people, yep. you know, because they – these promises – If they say something, they do it. Yeah. yeah. So they, and and they we all know those people that say, yeah, I'll catch up with you yeah. and then don't, yeah. or I'll get that done and, and then, then don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> but enough about me. Um <laughs> This but is actually your uh, performance review. This right is actually here. therapy <laughs> right here. Uh, so these people, seeing as it's my performance review, Dad, these people are conscientious. Oh, um, very conscientious. Yeah. They focus and concentrate. Um, yeah. And they'll also self-sacrifice to get mm. to where it is that yeah. needs to be done. So these are the people who have told you that the report will be on your desk by tomorrow morning mm. and it turns out that they stay there till 11 o'clock at night mm. in order to get that done. Right. Which is a good thing or a bad thing? Or do they not talk in terms of good or bad? Definitely not talking in relation to good and bad. So what right. this is about, you know, we've talked on a couple of occasions now about this concept of self-awareness. This is about organisations starting to be more aware of the people that they've actually got. Yep. So what is it? You know, because, you know, as as one of the areas that we work a lot in is the idea of change. Mm. and. And we all know, we've all talked about change before and people mm. have, have found change. You know, we talk about people who are resistant to change or people who are early adopters and yeah. love change. This is more nuanced than that. It takes right. it a bit further and starts to look at what is it that motivates people, who these people are, so that mm. when you introduce a change, for example, you can have a far greater awareness and understanding of how somebody 
who identifies in particular ways might respond. Right. Which must be very helpful with managing and supporting those people. Yeah, and putting teams together and making sure you've got the right people with the right time in the right place, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which kind of, I'm wondering if that actually then, you know, comes into that the, the third C, which is that one of challenge. And I know that one of the factors there is uh, risk orientation and learning orientation. So the fact that you just brought up change there, you know, learning is change and That's change exactly is right. learning. So I wonder, someone who scores <coughs> higher towards the risk or learning orientation versus lower, I wonder if they're the kind of people we might be talking about. Well, that's right. So someone who, who uh, scores higher in the risk orientation, they are more inclined to thrive on change. Mm. They're, they're not threatened by change. They like the idea of change. It stimulates them. Um, so uh, the risk orientation really describes the extent to which um, we like doing new things and dealing with change. Yep. And so this is actually really stimulating. Yep. Change is stimulating for people who sort of in this category. Yeah, and in my mind, I can see this here where, you know, someone might be high on risk orientation, but perhaps low on achievement orientation. So this could be, I mean, I'm thinking hypothetically and I'm thinking out loud, but, you know, it's the person that always comes up with the new ideas, uh, but then doesn't see doesn't them through. through yeah. I wonder if, I mean, I'd be interested to um, yeah, see how this pans out in the work we're doing with people because, you know, maybe it could start explaining not only why things are happening, but also perhaps a way forward to help individuals or, or teams to, to move forward. Which is what we're really after, right? Yeah. We're trying to help people thrive. I mean, that's what leaders in yeah. any organisation are trying to do, trying to maximise the capacities of their people, trying yeah. to help them thrive by understanding them better. And I think, you know, this this appears to be a tool that is really going to help us understand mm. people better. Mm. So the, that, that last C, the one of uh, confidence... Talk to me a little bit about how they break up confidence. So confidence is about, you know, so it's broken up into confidence in our abilities mm. and then interpersonal confidence. And there, you know, there's crossover obviously between each of these. But confidence in, in our abilities is that, that, that to what extent we believe in ourselves to be able to do a particular task. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the struggles with change, as we've both uh, discovered in all sorts of environments is that when a change is introduced, anxiety is often a result of that because people don't feel confident in their abilities mm, to actually sure, manage yeah. that change. Yep. Um, you know, so some of the things that we'll see with people who have confidence in their abilities is they don't need others to tell them they can do it or to encourage them. They just manage it themselves. Mm. Um, they have that inner belief in their abilities. Um, so they sort of exude that confidence. And we yep. know we've all worked with people like that. They've, they've never done something before, but they just mm. throw their hat in and and see what happens yep. and, and usually quite successfully um they maximize their own abilities so they really make the most of their own abilities there um and they have a very growth orientation in that they believe that they can acquire new abilities mm. so if they don't have what it takes they'll they can learn to get what it takes so, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah and and they're not afraid of other people being more expert than them mm. that they're going to, you know, sponge information from. Yep. And I say sponge in a very positive way. Absolutely. And so then the final one there is the interpersonal confidence. Mm. And this describes the extent to which you'll influence others. Yep. Uh, and the way this is sometimes manifested through the questions you ask mm. in order to understand something. Um, and so there's a belief that, you know, with interpersonal confidence that you can really influence other people as much as they can influence you. Mm. So some of the characteristics you see here with high interpersonal confidence is these are the people who ask questions to check their understanding. They're not afraid of looking stupid by asking yeah, right. questions. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've worked with a lot of people um, 
where people are nervous about that idea mm. of asking questions for fear of looking like they're ignorant on a particular thing. And how often do people preface what they're going to say by saying, oh, this is probably a silly question. Absolutely. But, yeah, yeah. And yet when, you know, we work with our own kids, when our mm. kids were very little, um, it's absolutely fearless questioning. Yep. They, they never preface it by saying, oh, I probably should already know the answer to this, yep. but why is the sky blue, Daddy? Yeah. You know, yep. They're never going to preface it like no. that, or this is probably a really stupid question. Yeah. Um, so then also these people won't allow others to orally dominate. So mm. when you have that person who is maybe a little bit more narcissistic in the staff room, in the boardroom, on the team, with you, whatever it is, mm. these people uh, don't allow that to happen to such an extent as others might. Yep. Um, they'll provide a full response to questions because they'll feel that they're valued and what they're saying is important and so they won't truncate what yeah. it is that they want to say. Yep. Um, they'll show their abilities, fearlessly show their abilities. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think in the Australian culture we can feel that, you know, you need to hide your, well, hide your light under yeah, the bush a little bit more. That's all poppy syndrome, it's you know. Poppy, yeah. yeah. So being aware of that and maybe not. Yeah. So you're, you're suggesting that people who are mentally tough aren't, overly concerned with tall poppy syndrome they just get out there and do but not am i here because if we go back to those fallacies so but not in a egotistical big-headed look at me kind of way just because they want to produce the best yeah, for the people yeah, around I th them i think absolutely and i mean yeah. uh, people can be misinterpreted we're all misinterpreted yeah. quite regularly but i think the way you've just described it there is actually exactly right it's not about look at me look at me listen to me i mm. need the i need to use more oxygen than the rest of you do mm but they have a strong interpersonal confidence. And these are the same people who really argue their position. Yep. So if they believe firmly in something and they feel like they're being shut down, mm. uh, and we've had these people, you know, um, I remember when I in my teaching career as well, you know, uh, sometimes I was this person and sometimes I've heard other people be this person, yep. is that idea of, no, I can't just accept that because it's being decreed. Mm. Let's explore it a bit more. And then, you know, these sort of people will argue their case. Yep. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a powerful confidence um, with which is then shared with the rest of a group in a group environment. And I know that you're um, particularly excited because everything you've heard today really, I guess, synergizes with the work we're already doing and it provides us with, a, I guess, some really good um, stimulus if we were to use this uh, material and the, and, the, and the tools that the survey tools with, with people we're working with. So from a coaching point of view, the idea that we might be able to develop mental toughness is that something that you're really seeing with what we already do by putting this on top we can um, really help people that's absolutely right and so as, as i said at the beginning so not only can we assess people's level of mental toughness but yep. we can really work with people now mm. to help develop that you know through some very specific tools to help people strengthen up um, their abilities in this area and yep. i think that's you know, there's there's real natural benefits from the strengthening up, the shoring up of that concept of resilience and that mental toughness because we're all going to go through difficulties yep. uh, and how we manage those is very important, not just for us but for the people around us as mm, well. Absolutely. One of the things that we've discovered is that, you know, with adults in particular, developing the mental toughness is a is a, an incremental process. It's not something where we're going to see enormous shifts. Mm. It's an incremental process. But when that process does occur, what the researchers are suggesting is that it really endures. So mm. if you make um, some, some growth, if you show some growth in your development of your mental toughness, that is highly likely to endure. Mm. One of the other areas where you and I uh, do a lot of work is in schools. And so to work with teachers 
um, who can then work with kids yeah. because the, the likelihood of, of much more significant uh, growth in mental toughness is far more likely in kids. Right. And again, that endurance has also been proven to be there. Okay, cool. Well, really keen to um, look into this a bit more and see how we can incorporate into the work that we're doing. If you are interested in the work that we're doing, then head over to habitsofleadership.com where you can find out about the programs that we offer and you can also get involved with the podcast by clicking on the podcast page. You can listen to past episodes and you can also contribute questions um, for upcoming Q&A episodes. If you have found this episode worthwhile, then there's a fair chance that somebody you know or plenty of people you know would find it worthwhile. So please share it widely amongst your network. And also don't forget to like this podcast, comment on this podcast, and of course, subscribe to the podcast. But until next time, thanks for joining me, Tim. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you all next time. Take care. Take it easy.